0: Twenty-three. Many of us could probably quote at least large portions of this from memory. We can open there to Psalm chapter 23 today. David is writing this and he himself was a shepherd. He spent a lot of time out in the pastures with the sheep. But he recognizes that he was not the only shepherd for the Lord is my shepherd. He said, I shall not want. In other words, I'm not in want of anything because the Lord is my shepherd. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, forever. Going back to verse 5, he said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And today, I just feel so led and humbled to deliver the word of the Lord on this subject. God prepared the table. Amen. Why don't we uh, just lift up our hands one more time, whether you're seated, standing. Amen. Just lift up our hands one more time. We're just going to ask the Lord just to speak clearly to us. In Jesus' name, Lord, we call on you. We are so thankful, Lord, for an opportunity to hear your word today. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be words that are spoken, but God, these would be words that would penetrate our hearts, our minds, Lord, that we could change our, our thoughts, our direction. God, I pray against I speak against any distraction that would be in this place with a human or demonic, anything that would come against the word of God. Lord, let it have no reign and rule in this place. But Lord, that you would have free course in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated today. I would say that if anyone in the Bible knew what it meant to have enemies, that it was David. This was the man who was the author of that psalm, but he was also the king of Israel. He was no stranger to finding himself in the presence of those who hated him. Everyone knows that he was the one who faced the giant when he was just a young man. But before he ever met Goliath, there were the bears, there were the lions that he chased off with his sling, with his stone, with the shepherd's staff. He was the one that was watching over his father's sheep, and as a young child, he was always faced with enemies even then. But as he grew, and as especially after his prominence came to pass, after defeating Goliath, he was surrounded by enemies. There were enemies in his presence, and enemies that they would have and they could have overpowered him, because each of them seemingly had the advantage over and over and over in his life. When he found himself... In the king's palace, as a young man, he was there. He was—he was not yet the king, but he was—he uh, was called in to uh, to play the harp, or play play the instruments for King Saul because King Saul he was having all kinds of fits of rage and different things. His spirit was just troubled, and and they knew these songs that David wrote, and so they brought him in, and they were—he was comforting to the king, but. Uh, the king suddenly he he realized that that people liked David and and there became this this jealous spirit in King Saul against David and he began one day he picked up his spear and he threw a spear at this young man and here's David just playing the harp and all now all of a sudden there's a spear being thrown at you that's Not something that you want when you are right there in the king's palace. It's having spears, javelins thrown at you. They were intending to kill him. So David, he ran away. But King Saul, he began to pursue him. Not just by himself, but he got his army and they began to pursue David. When David was king, he would then go and he would go out to the battlefield. And he would step right into the presence of the enemies of his state, those pesky Philistines that never seemed to go away, even when David finally had peace, when he wasn't fighting against the Philistines, from right within his own family, there came an enemy. His son Absalom revolted against him and tried to take over his father's throne. In fact, did take it over for a time and drove King David away from the palace in Jerusalem. You see, David knew what enemies were all about. But it wasn't just the physical enemies that David fought against. He had enemies that could not be seen. Some of us, we have the same enemies today. See, when the prophet Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, God had directed him to the house of Jesse. God had told Samuel, the prophet, that the next king will come from Jesse's house. And so he went there, David's father Jesse, He proudly paraded each of his six sons before the man of God, knowing for sure that one of them was fit to be the next king. But God, he told Jesse that none of these, uh, none of these six young men, or he told Samuel that none of these six young men were going to be the one. And so Samuel, he asked Jesse, he said, well, I know that God sent me here. I know that I'm supposed to be here. You said that you brought all your sons before me. Would there happen to be any others? And Jesse, oh yeah, I kind of forgot. My youngest is out tending the sheep. Answers, well, can you go and and get that one? I, I want to see if God would give me confirmation that he is the one that I'm supposed to anoint. So they go and they get David and they bring him in. And you see, this is a father who didn't even think that David was fit. But God saw the heart. Of a young man. God looked on the inward part. But, but but even knowing that God looks on the inward part. There's still this insecurity. That had to have been there for David. That my own father didn't think that I was fit to be the king. My own father. He thought that all my other brothers could do it. But not me. You see. It wasn't just physical enemies that David fought. But he fought these enemies of doubt. The enemy of inadequacy. Just wasn't quite good enough, even in the mind of his father, he wasn't quite good enough as a man, we know about david 's struggles with the enemy of lust that one day, as a king, he stood up on the roof of his palace, he saw this beautiful woman on the house nearby, and he lusted after her. He dealt with the enemy of death after he uh, he went and he had a child with that woman and That child ends up dying as as just an infant and he's dealing with this enemy of death and grief. And see, if anybody knew knew in the Bible what it meant to have enemies, I could point to David. David had enemies. I don't know. Perhaps today you can identify with David. Maybe it's that person who who always looks at you with the side eye. You just know that the thoughts that they are thinking towards you are full of evil intentions. You know that they are your enemy. They may not have expressed it outright, but you know that they're against you. Maybe it's that person who used to be your best friend until they crossed you. And it was in a time when you least expected it. I don't know, maybe somebody in here, it's even a family member. I'm sure there's probably some in here. You have enemies that it's not a person at all. For you, it's... The doctor's report that was given giving you just months to live or giving you a diagnosis that is incurable. Others, we have these enemies of self doubt, these things that you struggle with on a daily basis, and, and it's it's perhaps for you it's 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 built out of your past. The fact that in your past you have all these mistakes, all these things that you've done, that they haunt you, they cause you to lie awake at night. The people that you hurt, the people that you failed, the, the times that you failed yourself, the things that you're still dealing with today because of your decisions in the past. These are enemies that haunt you, enemies that surround you. I don't know exactly what it is that you are dealing with today, but all of us, myself included, we have enemies that we struggle with. For far too many of us over these past several months, the, the, the enemy of fear, it, it'll raise its ugly head time and time again. And you, you, you have fear that casts anxiety over you. And it's, it's just like you get anxious. Well, maybe you've even lost your job. You've seen your income decrease, making it impossible to keep up with rent possible to keep up with the bills they're all mounting and and you realize here today that the enemies they're real I recognize today those enemies they're real no one is exempt from enemies but here I, I want to paint a picture for you today it's this picture that begins in the valley this valley it's it's not full of, of wildflowers it's not full of that babbling brook but this valley, it's cast over the shadow of death. There seems to be no hope in this valley. That man traverses its barrenness, its boulders that are there. And except, except that, that there is one who walks beside the man who is going through the valley. He can't see the one who is walking with him, but he knows that he's there. He can sense his presence. He, he gives him this calm assurance as he pushes forward, step By step and he's going and you see one they might have hoped that this man would have shown him another route. Might have hoped that maybe he would have even picked him up and carried him to a safer place so that he wouldn't have to travel through the valley of the shadow of death. That man didn't pick him up. He allowed him to walk through the valley. He allowed him to go but he was with him every step of the way. He was walking with him through the valley of the shadow of death. Then slowly and surely, as that man continues to walk through the valley, his enemies begin to appear. His enemies are coming and they sneer, they cackle, they they crept into his peripheral vision and begins to see them coming in. They wouldn't go away. Make matters worse, the one who had been with him had now gone ahead of him. Can't see him anymore. Can't feel his presence. Or maybe you've been there before where it feels as if you're crying out and you're saying, I feel all alone right now. Why would he have gone so far ahead? Why would he have left me here in the presence of all of these enemies? Why would he let them get so near to me? Then, seemingly out of nowhere, as the man turns a corner in that valley, There appears a table. It's this banquet table that is laid out. and My oh my. The feast that was on that table. It looks so good. It smells so good. He's standing there. And this table is set. The last napkin has been set perfectly in its place. It was none other than the one who had been walking through the valley with him. That was setting up the table. He hadn't left him in the valley to fend off the enemies by himself. He had simply gone ahead to repair the table. And it was in that moment that the man in the valley had a choice to make. Was he going to pass by the table and continue searching for a way out of the valley, fighting off his enemies as they approached, or was he going to take a seat at the table that's been prepared for him? See, I want you to know today that even in the midst of your valley, In the shadow of death, with your enemies closing in, that God has prepared a table for you. God is inviting somebody today to take a seat at the table. I know this picture that I'm painting today, you might say, that doesn't make sense. Why would God set up a table in the middle of the valley with the enemies all around him? Could Could not God have just gone and destroyed all of those enemies and then set up the banquet table? I'll tell you, yeah, he could have. And in fact, that table is going to be set up one day. The one where the enemies, they cannot approach. That table that will be there at the marriage feast Scripture tells us that everyone who enters into heaven is going to sit at that table one day. That every one of us is going to sit at a table. If you, if you are the one who is of the bride of Christ, that one day we're going to sit at the banquet table and all of the enemies are going to be vanished. They're all going to be vanquished. There's, there's no enemy that's going to be surrounding you when you sit at the banquet table one day up in heaven. There's no enemy that can approach that table. But right now, right now, The table that God has prepared for you is a table that's set up right in the presence of your enemies. And if I'm honest about it, I have to say, I'm glad it's that way. I'm glad that the table that God has prepared for me is right smack dab in the middle of my enemies. And maybe you're saying, why why would you be glad about that? Why would you want a table that is right there with your enemies surrounding it? Isn't that uncomfortable to have the enemies surrounding you while you're at the table? And I'll tell you why. It's because as soon as I sit down at the table, I come into fellowship with the person who is right there at the table with me. And even though my enemies... Are in my presence. Even though my enemies are there. The only other one who gets a seat at the table. Is the one who prepared it for me. You sit at the table. With the one who is walking with you. Through the valley. The table that you sit at. Is a table of fellowship. It's a place where conversations get personal. Sitting across the table. From somebody allows you this opportunity. To get to know them. As you sit there at the table, this table that was prepared in the presence of your enemies, you begin to see with more clarity just how different your God is from the enemies that are surrounding you. You get personal with the one that's sitting at the table with you. That table, it's this place of fellowship, this place, it's it's a place where there is no fear. See, fear it. That enemy that you were struggling with, when it makes a pass by the table, you hear these words coming from the other side. That seat that is over there saying, walk by faith, not by sight. Don't give in to fear. He's speaking to you. He's telling you. You see that enemy that you've been dealing with right there? I have the antidote to that that enemy. I have the answers for you. Perfect love. It casts out all fear. He says, acknowledge me in all of your ways and I will direct your paths. Come on. He, g- he begins to give you the, he begins to give you advice, begins to give you all every answer to the enemies that are around you. And you begin to see how starkly different that message is from the fear mongering voice of your enemy that has been causing you to lie awake at night, Heaven, you have all this anxiety that you're. Tripped up with every day. He's different from your enemies. He's the one that says, here, just trust me. I have you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be with you all the way. You don't have to give in to fear and anxiety. See, when that enemy, the enemy of your doctor report and your, un, and your failing health comes into view, begins to make a pass and you, you see it out of your peripheral vision. And you You see that enemy that has been just, just reminding you What the doctor said, the one that's sitting there at the table. He says, by my stripes, you are healed. My body was broken, my body was bruised, so that you can have life and life more abundantly. And he he reminds you, he says, "You, I've given you the body of Christ so that you can call all of the elders of the church to come and to lay hands on the sick. And my promise is that they will recover. He says, call out to me and I will hear your cry. See, sitting at the table in the presence of your enemies allows you to see God more clearly this is why I say I'm glad that he set the table up in the presence of my enemies because they're there the enemies are surrounding me but I know a God who he is the one that is has every answer against the enemies of my past every enemy of my failure every enemy of my present. he has the answer see when the failures of your past when they step up to remind you that you have no future And I love this one. He says, your sins are forgiven. Your past is gone. I died on a cross so that you could be born again. You have new life today. All of that stuff in your past, all these things, that enemy of your past that's coming up to remind you of those things that you've done when you went down in Jesus' name and you came back up. You came out a new person. You came out clean. You came out with a new lease on life that your bill has been paid that you don't have to worry about the things of the past. And your enemy that says, well, you made a whole lot of mistakes since then and god says that my blood still covers it my blood still forgives it that they came to me and they put their trust in me and they put their faith in me and they said i'm a servant of the king and i want to make him my lord and my savior and it doesn't matter what mistakes they've made i'm here for them (laughs) see god he prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies And right now, he's inviting you to take a seat. See, that table that's in the valley, it wasn't the only table in Scripture that God had prepared. There's some other tables that God prepares as well. There was one that we find in Mark chapter 14. It was the last time that Jesus would walk into the city of Jerusalem. Mark tells us, Mark chapter 14, verse 13. He says that he sent out two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the city. A man is going to meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Go and follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room that's furnished and prepared there. Make ready for us. So his disciples went out, they came into the city and they found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. We know this today. We call it the Last Supper. It was eaten in this large upper room which had been furnished and prepared before the disciples even arrived. God had prepared a table so that they could get to know him at a more intimate level than they had ever known him before. See, Jesus knew that night who it was that was going to be sitting there at the table with him. He knew when he sat down at dinner that night that Peter and James and John were going to be there. That Andrew was there, Thaddeus, Matthew, oh yeah, even Judas would be there. Judas was at the table that night. Jesus, he was not ignorant of the intentions which Judas had towards him. He knew that Judas was about to betray him. He knew that that betrayal would lead to his death. Jesus knew that the one who was going to be sitting there at the table was about to betray him. And yet he prepared the table. He sat there at the table that was in the presence of Judas. And as they sat at the table that night, Jesus, he arose and he went up and he picked up a towel. He began to wash the feet of his disciples. One disciple after another, Jesus, he began to wash their feet. And if you don't understand the, why he would do this, it's part of just their culture. You think about uh, the dusty roads that they were walking on, the sandals that they wore. They're sitting at a table. We think of the table today like we sit at. But they had one much lower to the ground. And you're sitting and kind of leaning on each other. And it's, it was proper to have your feet washed when you would come in for a meal. And it was typically the servant that would do that. But there was no servant that greeted them at the door to wash their feet and so they all just sat down at the table. But Jesus goes to where that basin of water was at and the towel was and he goes and he picks that up. In the middle of their meal, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. This was not the job of the master. This was not the job of the leader. This is the job of not even the disciples. It was the servants. Jesus goes and he Washes them. The feet of James. He washes the feet of John. The feet of Peter, Andrew. One by one, Jesus is washing their feet. And meanwhile, there's one that's there at the table who, who felt like he didn't belong. There's one right there who had already made plans to sell Jesus out. He was about to get 30 pieces of silver for leading the enemies, the real enemies of Jesus, Jesus, to him so that they could arrest him and so that they could kill him. And so he, Judas, was the enemy, and yet he had a seat at the table. So I want you to know today that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how callously you've acted toward God doesn't matter how hard you fought against God. He has a seat at the table for you. If you today feel as though you have been the enemy of God yourself. I want you to know he has a seat at the table for you. Don't you believe the lies of the enemy that would tell you that you're not welcome at the table. He is inviting you to sit right down at the table with him. He's inviting you today that it says, I don't care what you've done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what all the things in your past. I have a seat at the table today. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe you don't see yourself that way. You wouldn't necessarily call yourself the interview of God. But the fact is that Paul tells us in Colossians 121. As he's writing this to some Christians. He's reminding them of who they were before they were born again, before they had their sins washed away. He tells them, he tells them that this includes you who once were far away from God. He says you were his enemies. You were separated from him by your evil thoughts and your, and your actions. See, the fact is that your sin, your evil thoughts and your actions make you the enemy of God. So if you're a sinner here today, then you're the enemy of God. And I don't say that today to make you feel something as if there's some distance now, but I say that because as the enemy of God, the one who's living in sin, he's saying I have a seat at the table right now, and I want you to, I want to make you my friends. I want to cover every one of your sins. I want to forgive your sins. I don't want you to have to be bound by those things any longer. I don't want you to have to be bound by, by all the stuff of your past. I don't want you to have to be bound by all of that. But I'm calling you to the table right now. And I want to make you my friends. I'm calling you today and I'm going to wash your feet right along with everybody else. I want to be? I want to befriend you. I want to bring you in to my company. I have a table that's prepared for you. You're welcome to the table. I'm coming to a close here quickly. And I don't know, you, you may ask the question, why, why, why is it that Jesus would wash the feet of his enemy? Why would he wash the feet of Judas? I believe it's this, that he was trying to tell Judas that his fate was not yet determined. If you know the story of Judas, it's... it's really sad story that after he did this, he went, he hung himself, killed himself. But that was not God's will for him. That's not what God wanted for him. Even Even after he would make this mistake, even after he would go through with his plans, it was God's desire that he would be restored. It was God's desire that he would repent. It was God's desire that he would turn towards God, not away from God. And he's inviting him to the table on that night that he would betray him to tell him, hey, I still love you. I still love you. I'm gonna bow down. I'm gonna wash your feet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come and have communion with you. I'm gonna be here with you. It's because he's trying to tell, tell Judas, hey, my forgiveness is on the table for you. You don't have to die. You can forgive yourself. Even, even if you feel like you can't forgive yourself, I forgive you. I forgive you. (laughs) See, John. Tells us in the, in his gospel that before Jesus ever sat down at the table, the Last Supper, he says in John 13, he says, he, he knew, Jesus, he knew that his hour had come, that he should not depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. He loved Judas to the end. Even in his sin, Even as the enemy of God, sitting at the table the Last Supper, Jesus loved him. In fact, he loved him so much that not only did Jesus wash the feet of his enemy, but he died on the cross for his enemy. He died on the cross for us. It tells us in Romans that when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were yet in a place of being all messed up, he didn't say, go get your life all straightened out. And then I'll extend my love towards you. No, he said, while you're all messed up, while everything looks like you, you don't have anything figured out in life, I'm going to die on a cross for you. I'm going to forgive you of your sins. I'm inviting you into my family today. Can we just can we stand all over this place. If you walked in here today with sin consuming your life, the good news is that Christ died for you. The good news is that the reason he died for you is so that you can have new life. It's a new life that he invites, that, that invites you to sit at, the, at this table, which he has prepared for you. This table that is there in the presence of your enemies. It's this table of hope. It's a table of grace. It's a table where the love of God is flowing freely today. See that new life. That's. He has for you, it, it really begins at a place of repentance. I say that word and you don't recognize, what, what does that mean? Repentance is the recognition of your faults. It's the recognition of the errors of your ways. It's this recognition that I can't be good enough on my own. I can't do enough good deeds to make it to heaven. That the only way that you are going to make that trip and that path of salvation is through Jesus Christ. See, today you can find a place of repentance right here. We have a space, you've you've already you've already spent spent the time to get ready, get dressed, drive here. You've already spent the time here listening to what God is, is, is speaking in your heart. Why don't you just spend just a little bit more time right now and just give him some space so that you could find a place of repentance you know it can can take place at an altar where you humble yourself and you tell God I'm ready to do things your way I'm I'm tired of doing things my own way we've already had some some awesome prayer that's taking place here today but I believe God's tugging on somebody's heart and saying it's time for me to take a step If you've repented of your sins, I'd also just invite you to take another step towards baptism in Jesus' name. See, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the only mode in Scripture that we see for baptism. And so I invite you today to be baptized so that you can have your sins forgiven. So that you're no longer counted as an enemy of God, but now you are a friend of God. It's what happens at baptism. It washes away your sins. So we have a baptismal here today. It's ready. If you want to be baptized today, it doesn't have to be through a long Bible study that we've sat, but if God's calling you and if you feel that in your heart to say, I need to make this decision that today is the day of salvation. I don't want to leave this house today without, we're just walking away from the table the same way that I was. You can leave this place changed. You can leave this place different. He's inviting you to the table right now. Could we just close our eyes and lift up our hands all around this building? We're going to sing a song here today, but really my invitation for you is not just to sing along, but it's to pour your heart out to God begin to speak to Him. As I said, repentance, it is this decision that you make in your mind to live differently. But why don't you verbalize that decision to Him right now? Not just in your mind, but let's let's speak it out to Him. Not not for somebody else to hear, but but just for yourself to to declare. God, I'm ready. God, I'm ready to do things your way. God, I'm ready right now, Lord, to start living the the, the life, Lord, that you have laid out for me. Oh, this is this is the start of repentance there's, there's, there's other aspects of repentance as you begin it says godly sorrow worketh repentance if, you, if you're truly sorry and you're ready to make a change in your life there's it's okay if you begin to cry it's okay it's okay if you get emotional when God is ready he's prepared the table for you right now hallelujah Jesus if we could have some people right now just make their way up to the altar. Some, some of our altar workers, individuals who could come. And they could pray with individuals here today who are searching for a seat at the table. Could you just make your way up? And then I want to invite you right now. You have somebody. You may not know them or you may know them. Those who are up here right now. I just want to invite you, if you could step out of that pew and walk to the table that God has prepared for you. If you could walk to this place right here and you have somebody, a friend, that they can come and they can help you to pray. They can help you as you make this step towards God. As you step to the table, you have a repentant heart. See, God's getting ready to wash somebody clean. God's getting ready to make somebody new. There's some, new, there's some powerful things that are getting ready to happen right here in this place. I just want to invite you to the table. You're invited to the table right now. Would you come? Would you come?